don't you love a good celebration? I do. And, and that was the kind of the, the point of that uh, opening video is to remind us of what joy looks like. Man, they won the World Series. They got excited and they had a great celebration. And everybody loves that. We love to see that. You can just see the joy on the faces of those guys when they're celebrating. When I was a young kid in church, we used to sing a chorus about joy. And I'm going to ask those of you who can sing this song and know it to join in with me. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I could go on. There's a part and I'm so happy. So very happy. I got the love of Jesus in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy. So very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Oh, some of you are old just like me. But we we used to sing that song in church. And, and I can remember the expressions on the face of the first church I ever went into when I was 10 years of age. And, and just how people got into that particular song. And I want to read to you some scriptures. And again, we're in a series. This is the second um, message called In the Big Leagues. And I'll get to you in a second to tell you exactly what that all means. But let's go to Galatians 5. These are the anchor verses for this particular series. And you will remember these verses will be very familiar to you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 say, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. I want to go to a couple other passages of Scripture. One, Habakkuk. And I said last night as I I read that out, I said, man, what mother would name their son Habakkuk? How would you summon that child? Poor kid. Anyway, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. One other passage of scripture and then we will move forward. First Peter 1 verses 6 through 8. And this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to had you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though You do not see him now. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy. Last week we talked about that we started this series and I I posed this question to you. I asked you, what is it out of all of the baseball players in the world, all of the people who play baseball? And just to interrupt myself today, the Little League World Series wraps up. 
And I'm rooting for the boys from PA, right? I'm rooting for our American kids. But anyway, um, uh, so you can catch that today if you're not doing something else. But but out of all of the baseball players, what is it that, that, that makes somebody, what is it about the people who actually make it to the big leagues? Because there are a lot of baseball players, but very few who achieve getting into the big leagues, right? And then we talked a little bit about how out of all of the major league baseball players, a very select few make it into the Hall of Fame. Why? Because they possess qualities and talents that very few people have. And I asked you to consider last week anybody in in your spiritual Hall of Fame. And I ask you to think about those Christians that you have met that just stand out. They, they're in your hall of fame because of qualities and things that they possess. And I remind you of something today. I'm pretty convinced that even if I were to start at age five, started at age five, and I dedicated myself to learning baseball and becoming the very best baseball player I could become, I don't believe that I would ever achieve making it to the big leagues because of athleticism and the things that it, that would, it, would take to, uh, it would require for me to have been good enough to play professional baseball. I could have probably become a pretty good baseball player, but I don't think it's within my DNA to have ever been good enough to play professional baseball. But I have good news for you if you are a believer today. I believe the qualities that we will look at. We, last week we talked about love and today we'll talk about joy. I believe with all of my heart that any believer can grow in your capacities and become, if you will, a Hall of Fame believer. Because I believe God will enable you to do that. I think that's in your grasp by the grace of God to possess these qualities and that this isn't something that only a few have. If it is, if, if, if there are people who have, it seems, a greater quality of these, it's because they have developed them and God has given them the capacity to have it. So I want us to consider again some of these people who are in our Hall of Fame, these believers that have seemingly just achieved so much. And I want you to think today about the power of joy. The power of joy. I, I, I want to talk about with you why it matters. Why is joy important in a Christian's life? We read that in, in Galatians that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And why is joy so important to uh, the Christian walk? Why is it a powerful tool used by God? And I would just ask you to this question. Do you know any people who, professes the, who profess to be Christians who are always down? Always. Have you met them? I have. And I'm talking about people who profess to be Christians. I, I was talking a little bit about this last night to some of our people. Um, in the first church that I attended, I still remember that there was such a contrast here for me to. It's, it's just embedded in my memory bank. There was this lady in our church who was four foot nothing. I liked her because I was I was 10 years old and I was almost as tall as she was at that point in my life. And and I, I loved sitting by this little 
lady. She was in her 80s at the time, and her name was Sister Failing. That's the only name I ever heard used or anybody uh, refer to her as. Sister Failing was this, this woman who was, first of all, just sold out, loved the Lord so very much. And the second quality that I just noticed right away, and the reason why I always sat by her, was because she was so full of joy. She would walk into that church and it would light up the room. She makes my hall of fame because she just had this capacity to be full of joy. She would walk into the room and people all gravitated to her because she was just this exuding excitement, exuding enthusiasm. And her joy, her source of joy, it wasn't long before you would know it was the Lord Jesus Christ. She came to church ready to get her worship on, man. She was already praising God as she walk through the door. Good morning, Sister Failing. How are you? Oh, I'm so blessed. God's been so good to me this week. I can't wait to worship him. And that was week after week after week. And I used to sit by Sister Failing because I used to love to feel that I could sense it would bleed out of her. I could sense the Holy Spirit making her happy. Back in that day, we used to call it getting blessed. And in the old days, we used to talk about people getting blessed. And Sister Failing would get blessed out of drop of a hat. All we had to do was begin to start singing something. And if she liked it, oh my word, she'd let it rip. And I liked sitting there because I would wait for the moment. It almost happened every service. She would get happy. She would get blessed. And she would reach into her purse and pull out a handkerchief. And I thought it, the first time I saw it, she's going to wipe tears away. No, sir. She whipped that thing around her head like a helicopter and go, Woo! Stand to her feet and get happy in the Lord. It, and then it was on in that church because that would inspire other people. Doesn't joy do that? Isn't joy contagious? And it was just wonderful to sit by Sister Failing. Man, I loved that lady because she just, she loved to worship the Lord. It's kind of probably part of where I get my enthusiasm to worship the Lord. She had a fire in her belly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I loved being around her. Conversely, there was another little lady in the church. And I won't mention her name. It wouldn't be nice. But this this dear sister, I, oh my word. Somebody would make the mistake to say, sister so-and-so, how are you doing today? And out would come bursitis and arthritis and all the rituses and all the ails of the world and everything that went wrong for the week and you would be very sorry you ask her i never heard her speak positively and she professed to love the lord she professed to be a believer and and i tell you more people like mrs her sister failing than like this lady it was just and i didn't i didn't want to be around that negativity all the time have you ever met somebody like that who professes to be a christian and yet nothing is good nothing is happy some of them believe that soberness is next to godliness and i never got that we would have testimonies in our church and, and, and uh, we would have these, these services where people would stand up and testify. I know that's gone too for now, but, but we had a lot of that going on. And, and I can tell you, man, there were a few of them and I thought they were more angry than anything else. I thank God that he saved me. And they never smiled. There was no joy in it. It was just like, I, I'm like, really? Tell your face because they just didn't seem. And, and, and so it didn't seem like they were having a good time in life at all. But I prefer to be around joyous people, especially joyous Christians. 
I will tell you that people who who lack joy, Christians really provide a poor incentive for anyone to come to Christ. Amen. That sour puss, that, that walking around with a shoulder slump and the head down all the time. And, and somebody says, oh, I'm really glad I'm saved. I'm saying, really, you are? Because you don't look like it. I think if anybody has any reason to rejoice in life, it should be God's people. Amen. I'll cover that in a few minutes. But there's a power to joy. And, and I believe it is a, a quality that needs to be possessed. I will tell you something, folks. If we become as joyous of a church as we have potential to become here, people will beat our doors down because people in the world are looking for that. I still remember about Sister Failing, one of the things I loved about her, and this is why it matters. This is why it's important, because I remember people walking in the church. And and they would be new to the church. And I remember this one lady in particular. She was there and she she met Sister Failing. Sister Failing had talked to her about the Lord a little bit. And so she decided to come to church. She she uh, sat in the same row with Sister Failing. And I still remember about two or three services in. Um, the preacher was preaching a message. And, and this little lady went up to the altar to pray. And she accepted Jesus Christ that morning. And her testimony was something like this. And this is why it matters. She says, you know, I was invited by that lady and pointed to Sister Failing. She says, Sister Failing invited me to church. And she says, I wasn't too sure about this church because I heard you guys were a bunch of holy rollers. And it, it gets a little crazy in here. She said, but I decided that I was going to come because I, I had such an emptiness in my life. And I love what she said. She says, I sat down and I watched Sister Failing and I said to myself, I don't know what she has, but I want it. I want that. And that's the power of joy. Amen. When you see a Christian who is joyful, when you are around a Christian who seems to enjoy their relationship with Christ, you provide a, an incentive for somebody to know Jesus. And some of us decentifies. That's not the right word. Decentifies. I can't say it. We don't give good incentive. I'll have to ask Mark later to tell me what word I'm trying to say. But it's an, it's, it, we don't have incentive uh, when we are not joyful. And I love that about the Lord. It matters. One of the most remarkable stories in the Bible comes to us out of Acts chapter 16. If you want to, you can go in your Bible. You can find Acts chapter 16. And here's the story that you're going to see there. I love this. It's one of my favorite chapters. Paul and Silas were missionaries in Macedonia. They had traveled many, many miles to get there. I'm talking about two of God's choice servants, two of the most dedicated, sold out men, sacrificing hardcore followers of Jesus who ever graced this planet. They loved Jesus with an abandon. They loved Jesus with everything they were. And they would find themselves in pursuit of doing what God would have them to do. They would find themselves one day miles away from their homes in Macedonia, far away from their families in a foreign land. And they were proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. They were there for some days and on their way to prayer one day. A little gal who had been following them around. She was a slave. She belonged. She was property. Of some other people. A little gal who had followed them around. Every time they would go out. This little gal was behind them. And this little gal was possessed by a demon. 
And this demon gave her, used her to, to tell the future. And it was a powerful, compelling thing for the people of that town that this girl possessed the ability to predict future and the owners were making a lot of money. But when these guys came to town and started talking to, to people about Jesus, the demon inside of her recognized that these were men of God. And everywhere they went, this woman, this little gal would follow and say, these are men of God. These, these are people of God. Uh, listen to them. That kind of thing. And I don't know if it become a, became a taunt because the Bible said that eventually Paul got troubled. I don't know if Paul was troubled mostly because the poor girl was, was enslaved twice by her owners and also by Satan. But finally, Paul, in, in exasperation, turned to her and he cast that demon out in the name of Jesus. And suddenly, this girl was just an ordinary slave girl with no ability to predict the future and no ability to earn money for her owners. It was because of that that Paul and Silas were taken to a marketplace. This is how they did it here in this particular culture. They stripped these men of their clothes. They severely beat them. And then they took them off to the jail. And the jail that they were put in had a lower chamber. The, the, it was where the, if they were really serious about keeping somebody secure, they would put these people. And I don't want to sound overly graphic here today, but the place where they put them, the other prisoners were elevated above them and all of their waste went into this place, this hole. In the middle of that hole, in the, the filth that was there were stocks and their feet and their hands were, were chained in, they sat there, their legs straight out and their hands straight out, stretched out that way. And they were left beating, sitting in rot, ble uh, bleeding, hurt, hurting, and there they were naked, cold and shivering there in that floor. Now, I don't know about you. I would love to be able to say to you that if something like this happened to me after I had sacrificed and I had followed the Lord and I was doing God's will and I ended up being treated in unjustly and stripped and, and publicly humiliated, I would love to be able to tell you that while I was sitting there, I would do exactly what Paul and Silas did. But I'll be honest with you. What I think I would do is complain. Amen. Oh, my or ouch. That's what most of us would do. We would say, God, I'm doing my best for you. And this is where you have me. This is what you let happen to me. And the amazing thing about this story to me is their response to their situation. Because they exuded joy. This is the amazing and powerful thing about this story. And this is the power of joy. They were able to see, and we'll get to this in a moment in further detail. They were able to see that God is in this whole thing. And God has a purpose in this whole thing. And yes, I'm uncomfortable. But praise God, He's trusting me enough to be uncomfortable. And I'm in this situation for His glory. And here's what they did. They began to praise God. They began to sing out to the Lord. And they began began to lift up their prayers and people, the prisoners who were locked up in that jail began to listen to what Paul and Silas were doing. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege or honor to be in a place when God's spirit seems to just stuff himself into that room. I've been in those situations and I will tell you, for me, it is all inspiring when God's presence is heavy. 
And in this particular service or this particular situation, God showed up at the midnight hour. And he began to move in a powerful way in that jail. Now, you'll recall that uh, some some months ago, I preached to you a sermon about the time when God said he was going to come down and meet with the Israelites. And they camped in the, the desert of Sinai. And God said, I'm going to descend on the mountain. And you'll remember what happened to that mountain when God touched it. God showed up and the whole mountain began to shake and quake. Not because God was making it just to show off, but because God is God. And so God's presence began to fill that dungeon so much that suddenly the whole dungeon began to shake and the foundations began to quake. And can I just interrupt and say to you, I long for the day for the Lord to come into a place where I am and so so mightily until when I leave the building, there's cracks in the foundation because of the power of God there. Here's what happened. This is such a wonderful and compelling story. These men are praising God. They're worshiping God. They're exuding joy. And the prisoners began to listen intently. Well, how do I know that? I'll get to that in just a second. The quake happens. God shows up. God's presence crams into that jail. And the whole place shakes so hard that all of the doors of the prison open and all the chains fall off. Because, by the way, Jesus is a deliverer. He is a liberator. And so all of that springs open. All that held these men captive sprung open. And the amazing thing is, when all the commotion happens, the jailer, who, by the way, was on the hook, If you had job of jailer, if one of your prisoners escaped, guess what you got to do? You got to serve their sentence. And if their sentence was death, you died. And so this jailer comes out and he, he's trying to find him. Remember, this is before electricity. He's trying to get enough light. It's nighttime. It's after the midnight hour. He's trying to make him his way through the jail. And every place he goes, he sees the doors are open. The chains are gone. The prisoners aren't there. And he just gets into despair. He reaches for his sword. He's about to do himself in. And Paul notices it and sees it. And he cries out from the darkness, don't do that to yourself. We're all right here. That to me is the the greatest miracle of this whole story. What would you do or what would you imagine would happen if one of our jails, one of our prisons had an earthquake and the door somehow sprung open and there were no restraints for the prisoners? Do you think they would stay in the building? No. No. You know what prisoners would do. They would scatter like cockroaches. I'm not calling them cockroaches, but that's how they would go in all directions. They would take off. They would leave. Not here. No, they all stay together. Why? Because the prisoners would rather be in a jail with the presence of God than to be running away without God's presence. I believe that when these men began to sing, I believe when they began to praise God, that the presence of God was so heavy and so thick in that building that it was compelling for some of these prisons. I would imagine it was the first time this the, the prisoner had ever sensed the presence of God. And I think there was a little bit of, I don't know what they have, but I want that. And instead of running away, they ran to Paul and Silas because they were so full of the Lord. And they sat there and I believe that many of them came to Christ. I certainly know from the account in in Acts chapter 16 that the whole jailer's family came to Christ. 
I love the response of the jailer when Paul says to him, we're all in here. The Bible says, and I believe this wasn't Paul. This wasn't silence. This was the presence of God and the power of joy. It was because of them praising God that this jailer came in and he sensed God's presence. And he fell and he says, what do I have to do to have what you have? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Can I again repeat to you that if we would just get to the place where we develop joy in our lives and we worship God joyfully, we wouldn't have room for all the people who would want to be here. Oh, that God would work in our midst and that God would work in our lives and help us to have that level of joy. The Bible tells us that God will show up when we praise him. Jesus introduced a biblical principle that applies to this story and applies to us here. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This this light, I believe, is joy. This light is praising God. It's righteousness and joy. And all that God will work in our hearts and help us. Because I can tell you the church has changed over the years from when I used to go to it. And I'm just, I'm not beating us up. But I've been a Wesleyan or been in part of the Wesleyan movement all of my life. I've been part, and I know our history, and I know I've lived part of it. And I will say this one thing about the church that, that I recall when I was a little boy. Man, they... They got excited and got blessed once in a while. And there was joy there. And I was there. I was present. And it did something to me. It's infectious. It works in our lives. Amen. Amen. And oh, that God would help us to come alive a little bit and and be excited about something uh, that matters, really matters. The Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this joy? Joy is an interesting word. Many people misunderstand and mistake it for happiness. And I have said this to you before, but it's, this whole thing about being happy is one of the reasons why I'm not all that fond of going to high school graduations. <laughs> Besides the fact that they bore me to tears. The other thing that I just ugh, drives me crazy is that's the theme every year. Be happy. Be happy. Make sure whatever you do, be happy. Go out there. Be happy. And it's like being happy is the end all be all. Can I just tell you that the Lord is less less concerned about your happiness than he is of, of, of your spiritual warfare? And joy isn't happiness. You see, happiness is defined by our circumstances. Happiness is defined by, by certain things and feelings that are happening within us. Joy is deep and enduring. I will put it to you this way. Joy can be there when we are in the midst of sorrow. I remember in my own life. The day that I stood in front of my mother's casket, she had just passed away very, very suddenly. And I can tell you, on the, there, was, there was great sadness because I knew I would be missing my mom. And I wept and I cried. But at the same time, my heart was rejoicing because my mom was home with Jesus Christ. I can tell you, honestly, there was joy in my heart as I thought about where she really was. I was looking at her body. She wasn't there anymore. She's with the Lord. And for my mother to have made it into the safety of God's arms 
was to me just overjoyed, uh, overjoyful for me because I knew the kind of life that my mom had lived and the abuse that she had been through and put people through and the sin that she had had lived in. And I watched God deliver her. And it wasn't long after that that my mom went home to be with the Lord. And so joy is that deep thing that stays within us. It's beyond happiness. And in fact, it's better than happiness. And it is what God uses. Listen, you might not have reason to be happy today. And you may, in fact, have reason to be unhappy today. And we've all been there. I've been there. I know what it feels like to feel unhappy. But I can tell you, at the same time you're unhappy, if you know Jesus Christ, you have reason to have joy in your heart today. You do. You have reason for that. Biblical joy is based in and on a person's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind everyone hearing me today who are born again. All of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. As it's described in John chapter 3. There are promises that God has made to you. And they apply to you if you're born again. Every born again person. From the moment that they come to Jesus Christ is adopted by God the Father. And you get to call him your father. Right there is plenty of reason for me to have joy. Why God would want me is overwhelming. And it brings joy to my heart that God one day brought me into his family. And he loves me as he loves his son Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. What a glorious promise it is. And I love the promises of the word of God for every person who is born again, that we belong to his family. Nothing or no one is greater than he is. You have his love as your father and his protection. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 10, no one can pluck you out of the hand of your big father. Oh, there's reason for us to be happy. Whatever or joyful, whatever happens in your life, he is with you. And he made this promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's always with you. We're studying this in our Sunday school. And it's been a great blessing. When your circumstances become overwhelming, they don't overwhelm him. They may be bigger than you. They're not bigger than God. And God is always with you. And there's reason to rejoice when things are difficult for you. He will never, ever stop caring for you, nor will he ever stop loving you. Even if you stray, he loves you. Even then, he is a prayer away. I love that God is present with us all the time. When you don't understand what's happening to you or around you, God knows it all together from beginning to end. He knows it perfectly and he is with you. You have reason, child of God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have reason to have joy in your life. And beyond all of that, God has a specifically designed plan for your life. He knows your name and he has a plan for you. He knows even how many hairs are on your head. He loves you. And he has a plan for you that if you follow it and you follow him, you will have great joy. There may be trials, but in your relationship with him, there is joy and purpose and peace.
If you delight in God and the things of God, you will thoroughly enjoy your life. I want to make that promise based on the word of God. That's what God's word promised. That if you live for him, here's what Jesus said. I am come that you might have life abundantly. Life filled with life. I'm not giving you some weak existence. You're my child. I'm going to give you life right here on earth. And if you obey me and you're close to me, you'll have a lot of joy. And that's an important thing for us to know. Joy must be present in the Christian who is walking close to him. And again, I'm not saying you won't be sad because we will. Please listen to me. I'm not advocating something that is false or putting on something that is false. Ladies, if it's a beautiful spring day after a long, hard winter and the thaw is on, the sun is out and you decide, you know what? I think I would like for my sheets this time instead of sticking them in the dryer. I think I'd like the fresh air smell in my sheets. So I think I'm going to hang them all on the on the line outside and just let all my bedding just kind to air out and dry naturally like they used to years ago. And if you're hanging your very last sheet and the line breaks and all your sheets go dragging through the mud, I don't believe God expects you to break out into a chorus of this is like heaven to me. You know, God is not asking you to be crazy. But what God is saying is you have reason to have joy. Amen. And that's the thing that I'm trying to say. He's not saying we'll never be sad or have difficulties. He's saying, I'm with you. And there's reason to have joy. I love the promise that the Lord has given. And I, I, I'm just overwhelmed when I think of the fact that, the God, that God has a plan for us. As improbable as it seems, Paul and Silas had joy because in their mind, they understood that all that they were facing was for God's glory. And do you know this? This is found elsewhere in Paul's life. Paul counted it a great privilege that God would trust him to suffer for Jesus' sake. That's an advanced joy. Paul makes my hall of fame. That's an amazing, amazing faith in the Lord. But he saw that and he lived that way. If you are born again, folks, you have a hope that no one is great enough to keep you from. There is a promise for you of eternal life with your God. Listen, if, if, if right now isn't so great, hang on. Because it's not that long. Right now isn't going to last very long. But eternity with God lasts forever. Jesus has prepared a place for you. He said that if I hadn't, I wouldn't have told you. And folks, I don't care. I don't. I, in the King James, the Bible says that Jesus is preparing a mansion for me. In the NIV, it says that the father has many rooms and he's preparing a room. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever dwelling he has for me, I'll like it. If it's a pup tent, if I get to be with him, I'm good with it. I'll still have a camping site with pure gold as streets. I'm good with it. What I'm trying to say is, compared to eternity, why wouldn't we have joy when we know this is just for a moment in eternity and we get to spend all of eternity with our Father in heaven? Man alive! That's enough to even get kept blessed. We should be praising the Lord. And listen, folks, I understand something. Baseball players go through slumps and they can't perform well and they go through. Have you ever gone through an emotional slump or a spiritual slump? We all do. 
But we have reason to have joy. I love what Habakkuk chapter 3. We read this. But I love what it says. I'm going to reread this to you. Though the fig trees. The fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes on the vines. And though the olive crop fails. And fields produce no food. And there are no sheep in the pen. And no cattle in the stalls. May I interrupt myself to say that's a bad year. And have you had one of those? Has it felt like just anything you touch has gone to waste? And everything you try to do, every time you put your hand to it, it made it worse. I not only have no sheep, I don't have cattle. I not only have no olives, I don't have any figs. That's a bad year. I love what this man says. Even though all of those things are happening, Habakkuk looks up and he says... Although all these things are happening, I will rejoice in the Lord. Will you please capture the word will? I will. This helps me know something about joy. It's a choice. See, you can choose to be joyful. And God can grow your joy. Here's something that I've learned. It's like an exercise. It's like a muscle. The more you use joy, the greater your joy. When you see the good things that God has done and you say, you know what? I don't have any of those. I got God. And he says it here. I love what he says when he when he says, look, I may not have any of those things. um, But but here's the thing I know. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And can I just tell you, I'm so glad that God gives me strength because I don't have much strength anymore. Man, when I was a younger man, I had a lot more strength than I do. I could bench press a lot more than I can now. And listen, if you're young and strong, have fun with that. It's going to go away. (laughs) Enjoy it. Wait till you get some of the fun aches and pains that you get in your 50s and 60s. That happens, folks. You are going to get physically weaker. But I tell you, I have a strength that I rely on. His name is Jesus Christ. He is my rock, my refuge, my my shield. He is my strength. That's what he was saying. Look, I don't have any of this. I tried to grow them. I tried to have them. I don't don't possess any of those things, but I don't need to worry about it because my father has great strength and he will sustain me. And no wonder Habakkuk had joy. He understood the sovereign Lord is my strength. And it was a choice. I will rejoice in him. Now, how has joy developed in our lives? I'm going to make this pretty quickly or go pretty quickly. As I already said, joyful Christians have lives that are very much like ours with trials and struggle. But their thing is they choose joy. They choose it. They look there. They have chosen to be joyful and and they have developed joyfulness in their lives. I told you last week about one of my Hall of Famers who had buried three, three husbands, outlived them all. And I and I told you I teased her that it was her cooking, but um, she had outlived three of her husbands, and 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 yet the joy in her life. And she had heartache after heartache and sickness. She's still alive. She's over a hundred years old, but she's in my hall of fame because of her capacity to rejoice when things were hard. First Peter talks about this. In this, you greatly rejoice, though for a while you have to suffer. And then on down to verse 8, I love this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, somebody may be thinking, I'd like to be joyful, Pastor Ken. That'd be awesome. 
I wish I was. But I don't know how to make it happen. And let me just help you begin to build your joy in your life. If this is something that resonates with you and you would like to have some joy, here's a few things for you to consider. This is where you can start. Ask a few questions. Am I right with God? Simply put, Christians, you can't have joy when you willingly grieve the Holy Spirit. And here's why. It's called conviction, and it's the love of God. God will convict you if you're straying from him. And I don't know about you, but as I recall, conviction is absolute misery. (laughs) It's awful. God will do that because he wants you right with him. He wants you in right relationship with him. So one of the things you may ask, if you're really just, there's an absence of joy, one of the spots you could go is, am I right with God? Are things right between me? Am I being disobedient to the Lord? Am I grieving God with certain things about my life? I know that some of you might be tired of hearing this from me, but unless you are diligent to seek and obey the Lord, you can't really have joy. Is there a part of you that you're not yielding to God? Is there something that you're not yielding to his authority? Have you been obedient to God in the way that you are treating other people? That matters to him. One example, are you holding a grudge? You're not going to have joy if you hold a grudge. You have to learn to let that go. Is there a repeating sin that God has dealt with your heart and and spoken to you about, but you haven't earnestly addressed? You're not going to have joy. Unless you get it right with God. Second question. Where's my head? And when I said that last night. Kip grabbed his head. Poor guy. Anyway. um, Where is your head? Where is my head? Joyful Christians have a good perspective on life. Paul and Silas were not crazy people. They were just able to think through why it was that these things were happening. They felt the pain. They suffered. They felt the injustice. They felt the humiliation. They went through all of that. But then they remembered why it is that God had sent them to the place that they were in the first place. And boy, did God use their joy. They were able to remember that God would one day reward them. They were able to understand that their trial was temporary and they celebrated. Do you ever think like that? Do you ever allow yourself to say God will be pleased even if I'm uncomfortable for a little while and God will work in this? And have you ever allowed yourself to see yourself as a small part of God's will? To see a a trial you're going through as small in the grand scheme of eternity? Did you ever see it as possibly bringing glory to God or something that God would use? And if God wanted to do that, make you uncomfortable, are you okay? Are you all right with God having access to your life? Listen, I'm going to tell you something now. I'm going to be very transparent with you. This is a true challenge for me. Um, I, I have to tell you, this was a hard sermon for me to preach because I'm still working on this in a big way. I get frustrated because I catch too many red lights, for crying out loud. Or I get behind somebody who's slow in the left lane and they're going the same speed as somebody in the right lane. I don't get it. Why do you do that? I, I, I get like that. I get worked up over things like that. I get frustrated at myself playing disc golf. You play with me, you will know that. So I struggle. That's why Jamie's over there laughing at me because she's seen me get so annoyed at myself. I throw something and it doesn't go the way I I, I envision it to go. 
And so I'm not saying that as I'm preaching to you, to you today, this is all just for you. I can tell you when I'm pointing, I got three fingers pointing right back. I know that this is something that God is working in my life about. See, that's that's as a pastor, I don't get the luxury of just saying, well, I'm uncomfortable with this subject, so I won't preach on it. If God lays it on my heart, I have to preach on it. So I'll readily confess to you that I'm working on this part of my life. And this is something that can be developed and I can, I can increase in this if I choose it. And I know that that's true. So let me just be honest with you that there are times when Satan loves to steal my joy just like he loves to steal yours. It's a hard sermon for me to preach, but it's biblical and I think I must choose to think differently. Where is my head? Philippians chapter 4, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Whatever is holy or lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Last question for you to ask. Have I asked God to give me joy? Have I asked him? Consider the question today. I want you to know it's God's will. It's God's plan for you to have joy. That's his will. What did we just see in First Peter Verse uh, uh, chapter one, verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Once you make sure that you're in full obedience to the Lord, then I would say to you, begin to ask for joy. I don't want to wait till I go to heaven to have joy. I don't want to be a grumpy old man. I don't I don't like grumpy old men. Do you? I like happy old men. I like joyous Christians. I don't want to be a stumbling block and a problem for somebody else. I don't want that to be. I want to pursue it here on earth. I want the Lord to use me here. And I want to long uh, love the Lord enough to allow him to up my level of joy. I'd like to get it there to the point where my Hall of Famers are. I don't know if I ever will, but that's what I want. I feel led today to have a straight up altar call. We're going to play a song in just a few moments, and it's a little bit upbeat, but I felt like this was an appropriate uh, appropriate song. And I, I want the church to be the church today. I want us to help each other. First, I want to talk to you if you're not born again, if you don't have a relationship with Christ. And I will tell you, this kind of joy that I'm talking about, you'll never have unless you know Christ. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. But if you know Christ, joy enters into your life. So if you're not born again, I I invite you, come. And here's how I want the church to be the church. I want to ask you, church, come around people and pray with them today. If somebody comes forward, help them pray. Let them know that you're standing with them and you're praying for them. I also uh, want to remind you of something that David prayed in Psalm 51. I love this, verse 12. When he stood before the Lord, this was God's man. But he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Or your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want to invite Christians. Who are tired of being joyless. To come and ask for God. To give you joy. Some of you have had your joy robbed. It's gone. And I want you to know it can be restored. In the name of Jesus.